Kia ora koutou and welcome to the panel RNZ National. Peter Dunn and Lavina Good with me today. This first, the Prime Minister and Government are being told they must do more to speak out against what is happening in Iran as the number of deaths in anti-government protests continues to swell. The protests first erupted more than a month following the death of 22-year-old woman Maza Armini in police custody. The latest update from Iran is that four people have died and dozens more are injured following a fire at a prison where anti-government protesters were being held. With us is Farouk Amin from Iranian Woman of New Zealand uh, to, to talk about this. Uh, Farouk, kia ora, welcome. Uh, good afternoon, thank you for having me. Pleasure. How hard has it been for you to hear the news of what is happening in Iran? Actually, day by day, it's getting worse, I think. So it's been like five weeks that the whole community have been distressed by news coming out from Iran, especially because this internet shutdown that we can rarely get news from our family back there and then watching these videos. So it's not been good at all. I see it's become, uh, the issue has become political here. Uh, ACT, for example, they've called for the expulsion of the Iranian ambassador. Um, what thoughts uh, do you have on where the Prime Minister uh, sits on this? Do you think that uh, she is doing enough? Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Well, I can only describe the New Zealand government's response to what's going on in Iran as weak and disproportionate to the scale and scope of the situation in Iran. So you watch Prime Minister's uh, response to TVNZ today. And what I understand from her response is that she probably is not well updated on, on the situation or she just decided not to uh, consider what's happening there because she reduced the revolution of Iranian people to the issue of women's right to have peaceful protests. But it's way behind that now. I'm wondering if she's aware of how people are being killed now on the streets of Iran on a daily basis, how school girls are being beaten up to death, how many children have been killed, and this list just keeps going. Prime Minister did say, you know, we, quoting, we have consistently raised our concern over women and girls in Iran and Afghanistan, specifically in Iran. We raised it in the Human Rights Council a year ago and consistently ever since. And Farouk, you don't think that's enough? Of course it's not enough. My question is, hasn't been working? How this expression of concern been working? Has it been successful? I know that they have regular meetings with the ambassador here, but I've also seen the kind of response that we get from this regime and their ambassadors around the world. Just look at the reply to the uh, David Summer uh, letter to the ambassador here, how he responded to this letter, just kind of denying everything. So we know that negotiation or expression expression of concern is not something that this regime is going to, you know, respond to that. So it's not going to work, you know. We need more than words. Need more than words. Well, let's bring in Lavina Good first of all. Lavina, how how do you read this situation? What 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 um, what do you think is key here? There's certainly been a global outcry, which is not surprising. I mean, two hundred 
protesters killed since September 17. And I'm understanding from Farouk, who just, just spoke then, that they need more than just words from Jacinda Ardern, who has come out and, and had her moral stance alongside the women of Iran. But that's it. And it's probably not enough just to show solidarity. Uh, we all know that the government has, you know, uh, export deals with Iran. I'm sure butter and wool is worth over $100 million in an export deal. But in the end, what value do you put on some of the lives of these young women? And, and standing as a feminist and showing solidarity isn't enough. And if I could show more and do more, I would do that. And I understand why Farouk Amin is, is hoping and demanding that the people of New Zealand expect Jacinda Ardern to do more. And it can start with maybe expelling the Iranian ambassador. Farouk? Yes, exactly. I totally agree. And thank you uh, for your comments. Uh, because when we are talking about humanitarian values, about human rights, so I heard sometimes from people that we are a small country, we are so far away from the rest of the world. But none of these are excuses, you know, to putting this responsibility off our shoulders. When it comes to human rights, all of us are living together and we are connected. So no country can separate itself from rest of the world, especially a country like New Zealand with its female leadership, with our prime minister being a feminist icon. So, And the other thing, apart from all these humanitarian aspects of the issue, there are many benefits for New Zealand and the whole world if we get rid of this regime. We know that it is the main sponsor of terrorism around the world. We know that it is an ally of Russia now attacking Ukraine and Iran. The regime is supporting Russia on that. And we know that it is a fundamentalist ideological regime that aims at exporting its ideology to the rest of the world. Okay, Peter. I think that's the point that Farouk's made, and I agree with her entirely, that this is much bigger than just the initial issue that... that exploded a few weeks ago. This is now the biggest challenge to this regime uh, since the revolution in the 1970s. And given all of the excesses over that time, given all of the the anti-democratic, anti-human rights measures, uh, this is a real challenge to countries like New Zealand to now speak up and join those people who are protesting and to support them. Because the only way freedom is going to return to the people of Iran is if they get the support to get rid of what has been a tyrannical regime for the last 40 years. And it seems to me that with the wider protests occurring, this is where this is heading. So New Zealand either stands by and does nothing or it gets in there and offers support where it can, give opportunities, for instance, to families to reunify in New Zealand. I think getting rid of the ambassador is probably the last thing, really, because you want to keep the doors open. But I think there's a lot we can do to show support, and we should be doing it. But, um, just, Farouk, I mean, we're such a small country. Realistically, what impact will we make? I, I already explained all this, that, you know, the, the location, the population, even the world, is none of this, you know, has anything to do when it comes to the, you know, international affairs and the humanitarian values, especially when they are involved. But the thing is that New Zealand uh, was uh, in line with other countries of the world when it came to uh, Ukraine and the Russia attack on Ukraine. Mm. And we, you know, at least we can try, you know, it's not like, you know, we want everything to be solved today for us, but we just expect our government as, you know, citizens of this country to speak up for us. All right. Nice to have you on the program, Farouk Amin, from Iranian Women of New Zealand. Uh, And um, 
feel that we may well hear more on that story in the days to come. It is 15 past four. The panel are NZ National, Levina Good and Peter Dunn with me today. Uh, quite a bit of response already on this. Uh, Ali says, I experienced ageism in a place I least expected. I called at the office of an aged care home and asked them to please hand deliver it to a resident. Can't you take it down yourself? came the curt reply. I pointed to my masked face and said I had hay fever. I feel that a younger person would have been greeted with more grace. I won't be wanting to end up in that care facility. And Jay says, whoa, ageism, alive and well, is definitely prevalent in New Zealand working culture. Many times I've been turned down or never heard back from when applying for jobs. Still happening now, even when it's an employee's market. Over 100 job applications and counting in Auckland alone. I'm 50. It's shameful that New Zealand employers only want to pay low wages and not interested in my experience or be willing to train when you have transferable skills and experience. So a response to that. And it all came from Julia Hartley Moore talking about this and her I've been thinking about the effects of ageism. She said she was a bit taken aback emotionally when she wasn't required to go and get a breast screening, being post-65. Anyway, a few of you got in touch about ageism, so I thought, well, let's come back to this. And it so happened that earlier this month was International Day of the Older Person, which was an opportunity, really, to I guess celebrate older peoples, but also to promote dignity and respect. And with us is Karen Billings Jensen, uh, the Chief Executive of Age Concern. Kia ora, Karen. Kia Wallace, how are you? Good. Well, I was going to say um, whether or not ageism is an issue that comes up much, but judging by the responses we have coming to us, I'm betting it comes up quite a bit. It certainly does. And um, yes, you've touched on some of the areas that comes up, um, obviously in terms of employment, but just right across society really, we're just seeing a lot of stereotypes, a lot of products anti-ageing as if there's something dreadfully wrong with ageing. Um, and yeah, but we definitely see it and we hear about it across the um, workforce. What are some of the examples that you're hearing about? I guess it's the things that you've already quoted. So people not um, being offered the opportunity to re- retrain or upskill, despite the fact that actually older people tend to stay with employers for much longer. Um, and, you know, we just know that older adults and older workers have got such valuable skills and contributions and all that experience and knowledge um, is so valuable. And when they're not giving opportunities um, to either start a new role, to bring all that experience to to the workforce or to retrain, because yeah. actually we know that older workers can be adaptable, productive and more tech savvy than people will give them credit for. Yeah, another one here, uh, just, Justin Peter says, I'm 71 and experience ageism all the time in respect of IT, especially from call centres when I have a genuine issue. They are patronising, which doesn't help solve the problem. We have a panel with us, uh, Karen uh, Lavina. Yeah, Carolyn, I, I, I find this really interesting. I, I live in Toronga and we're surrounded by a whole lot of retirement villages. And I've, I've actually noticed over the last decade and a half that there's been a real dissension in the ranks where... It's almost we build these large, tall buildings and we put old people behind them and they're not allowed to mix with the community anymore because they're in this guarded sort of community. And I sort of think maybe that's culturally taking its toll on um, the lack of respect that some people have for those that are 
um, getting older and they're more mature in the workforce because the relationship isn't built there anymore. It's almost like us and them, us and them. And I think if that's becoming evident um, near where I'm I'm living, but I've experienced um, ageism uh, with friends of mine. I, I mean, I'm a 50-year-old television presenter that has grey hair and I can't afford Botox. So my career is over, let's be honest. There's a bit of ageism going on right there. But I do know in the workforce, uh, certainly here in the Bay of Plenty, if you apply for a job between 25 to 50, then you're in with a better chance than whether or not you apply for one with the age of 50 to 65. And I agree with you, it's such a shame because there's so many life skills and wisdom mm. to be passed on. And, and it's just such a loss when the respect isn't there, when people aren't listening. And I think culturally it's because there's a bit of a dissension and a division in the ranks because we're not mixing enough as a community together. Stay there, Karen. I just want to bring, come back to you, Livina, because the issue of uh, ageism and broadcasting was brought out yesterday, actually, in the ABC. Um, a, a, a criticism of Fran Kelly's new gig, frankly, drips with ageism, a stubborn form of discrimination that we need to call out. Do you feel that there is um, ageism still in broadcasting? Oh, absolutely, especially if you're a female person getting older as well. I think that's evident on our screens when we look at the broadcasters um, when you're male and you get grey hair. Wallace, you're tremendously dapper and handsome. But when you're female and you get grey hair, you're no longer wanted by a network to be on screen. And we adapt to it. It's an industry that we we have always been a part of. And un- unfortunately, it's an aesthetic in- industry. It's one that's judged by appearance. But it's such a shame when... A skill base is is Mm. just as good as it has ever been, but because your appearance has changed, then definitely, I think, ageism within the broadcast industry for sure. Stay with us, Karen, or get Peter's thoughts. Well, as someone in their late 60s, I I find this ageism thing cuts two ways. On the one hand, people patronise you because they think there are certain things you can't do anymore or are just not up to doing. But on the other hand, they also treat uh, uh, any references to experience or to we've been down this path before and here's what happened last time is really just being sort of you're in dream world because this is all new this is all exciting this is all modern there's no one ever tried you know trodden these paths before and I think that's the most frustrating thing that you feel sort of pushed off to one side and uh, almost left to spend your time remembering with those of similar age the bygone days yeah Karen oh I agree with both you know what Peter and Lavina had said um, yes, like we, you know, the Older Workers Employment Action Plan was issued earlier this year for workers over 50 and just addressing some of those issues. Um, and I think you're right, it's looking at how we can build relationships across communities. We need to remember with retirement villages, actually, of the over 75s, there's only 14% of the population mm. living there. Mm. So oh, we just right. need to build relationships across communities um, because actually that then helps reduce stereotypes and, you know, some of the stigma that we're talking around. Oh, that's good to know, Karen, just 14%. And it keeps, they keep on coming in here, Karen. Well, I'm 71 and still working an eight-hour day, five days a week. A lot of ageism in the workplace generally. Let's call it out. It's a total lack of respect, unfortunately. So is there, Karen... Uh, a message for people out there. Is there a message for employers? Uh, you know, you had a day in early October about dignity. What's the message, uh, takeaway message here? Well, again, I think for employers, it's actually you're missing out on an, an amazing workforce. You're missing out on skills, experience, mm-hmm. knowledge, drive and energy mm-hmm. um, that, you know, in the workforce. Mm-hmm. But for everyone, it's act- actually just rejecting those stereotypes 
every individual has unique, has their gifts. We hate to hear people talking negatively about growing old. It's all those things that actually are underpinning some of the conversations that take place on our advertising. All, all of those things actually continue to patronise older people. So you're right, we need to call it out wherever we see it, wherever we hear it. Nice to have you on the programme, uh, Karen Kiara. That's Karen Billings Jensen there, who's the Chief Executive of uh, Age Concern. It's 24 past four, the panel in uh, Z National. Reminder here, it's the uh, it's Monday afternoon, which means the song Whisperer, you guess the lyrics, we, you, you guess the lyrics, we play you the song. A fool could see just how much I adore you. I'd get down on my knees. I'd do anything for you. What are the lyrics? What's the song? Text me 2101 and uh, we'll play it for you just after 4.30. Well, for the first time in a decade, Creative NZ declined a funding proposal for $31,000 to go towards the Shakespeare Globe Centre NZ for 2023 to 2025. Reaction has been swift and brutal, particularly on social media. Shakespeare has been cancelled, some have said. Others said this will be laid at the feet of the government. Others said, oh, we get to have F-Boy Island, but not Shakespeare. Creative NZ's Karen Rangi, she said, Shakespeare is relevant for a good part of our country and the number of young students that have taken part in it. It's also not relevant for a good chunk of our society as well. And the story's made headlines around the world. So I wanted to go around the panel on this one and see what they think of uh, this. Um, so uh, the $31,000 would have gone towards an executive assistant and a succession plan. So, um, Peter, hardly cancelled. But that aside, no, I'm, your thoughts? I'm, I'm less worried about the particular application because I don't know the details of that. But it was the, the associated comment about uh, imperialism that I thought was utterly inappropriate, went, was, was historically totally inaccurate because Shakespeare predated the British Empire. Uh, and it just shows a degree of political correctness, which I think most people would say has gone too far. I mean, look, you, you, I don't know, during the course of this conversation, I suspect many of us have inadvertently quoted Shakespeare, so many of his words and phrases form the basis of contemporary English, even today. And uh, the idea that he's somehow not relevant, I just think, defies belief. But um, there are those who might say, actually, um, what she said, there's a point in that. Uh, you know, I mean, here's one. I mean, I'm a person who was a musical director for Shakespeare, The Tempest, right? So I know Shakespeare. I've got a degree in English, did Shakespeare a lot. But I can tell you what, Peter Dunn, I got a hell of a lot more out of watching the massive companies, Sons of Charlie Paura, and them talking about growing up in Māori than I ever did in any Shakespeare. So I put it to you, they've got a point. No, look, I think there's, there's got to be balance in all of this. I don't think you, you support one at the extent of the, at the expense of the other. I think there are good things about our indigenous culture that we need to be promoting and seeing much more of and giving more support to. But not, not, that doesn't mean, therefore, you, you take away from things that many people have traditionally derived pleasure from. There's it's got to be a balance. Years of fund, it's 10 years of um, being funded, and it's 31K. It's not, it's not going to stop the Shakespeare, by the way, but time to fund other stuff. Well, you could argue that. Look, as I say, I don't know the details of this particular yep. application. It was the comment that was attached to it that I thought was inappropriate, that, that was implying a political judgment about what is essentially a cultural activity. 
Lavina, when's the last time you stole down to the mount with Twelfth Night tucked under your arm? <laughs> i tell you what, Wallace and Peter, I'm a sucker for Shakespeare. I studied Shakespeare at uh, university and also at high school. And Peter made a good point, actually. I forgot about that. But Shakespeare invented more than a thousand words, including alligator. I think that was Romeo and Juliet. Bedroom out of Midsummer Night's Dream. And the word gossip out of A Comedy of Errors. And it's, I guess... For no, me, I don't care about I it. I'm asking you when's the last time you, um, you, you, you went down to the Mount with Shakespeare under your arm? When's the last time you even <laughs> read Shakespeare? Well, that's the point I was going to make. I think in the learning of Shakespeare, Wallace, it's not about the appreciation of the text. It's more the analysis of the text, which is important. But I would like to put a but in there. Up until thinking about this today and receiving some information. Three of my children at high school level have studied Shakespeare in the past and don't have a great desire to study it in the future. 20 years ago, we certainly didn't have enough New Zealand literature available. That has changed. And I guess for some people, yep. and maybe me included, I'd like my kids to come home and talk about Hinamoana and Tutanekai rather than Romeo and Juliet. So times, yeah. times have you, changed. You, you see, Peter, you've picked up on that decolonisation aspect, but I'm Pointing to you, um, Karen Rungi's uh, a quote, Shakespeare is relevant for a good part of our country, including you, but for a lot of people, not relevant. Oh, look, I, I don't disagree with that, but the, but the conclusion that she's drawn that therefore you don't fund Shakespeare is what I'm, I'm disagreeing with. I think you've got to have balance in these things. You've got to give equal support, if appropriate, to both. But you don't say, well, look, this group's not going to like this, so we won't bother funding it anymore. And that's the message, I think, that's come out now. Now, in terms of the politics, uh, Peter, what of them? Because some are trying to paint this politically. Uh, Winston Peters is banding around the, the, the phrase cultural Marxism. Uh, David Seymour, of course, he's weighing in. So laying the issue more at the feet of government. I mean, perceptions do matter. Yeah, what they, are, the issue, they what do. are the issues here? They do, and I think the government needs to be careful. I thought the Prime Minister this morning indicating that she wasn't happy with the decision was a useful step forward from their point of view. This is a decision that some bureaucrats have made. They need to be held accountable. I think trying to dress it up as some sort of vast political conspiracy does take it too far. A lot of response coming through here. Needless to say, Wallace, three generations of my family enjoy going to the Globe Theatre to watch Shakespeare. It is entertainment at its best. Uh, Josh said, after a 20-year career in the arts, I left primarily because of the pain, agony and literal tears of dealing with funding (laughs) agencies and primarily uh, Creative NZ. Um, So, yeah, it's... um, yeah, quite the response. And actually a lot of response regarding the song coming up, uh, which uh, many of you seem to love. So that very shortly, we are on the panel with Lavina Good and Peter Dunn 